overhead, but I hope this morning that you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And I pray that you will take time in the privacy of your home or wherever you do your daily devotions to read this passage of Scripture again with a, with a sense of revival coming to our church and to my life and your life as we surrender to the Father's will. Let's pray before I read these verses before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so grateful that this service is not dependent upon our wisdom and our knowledge and our talents, but, Lord, upon the presence of your Holy Spirit and proclaiming your word in power and in love. And, Father, I just pray that you would take this story, the account of your son's struggle in Gethsemane, to surrender completely and totally to your will. Lord, take these words and, Father, help us to surrender ourselves and to surrender this church to your will. God, I just pray that, Lord, I would be silent and you would speak through me. I pray, Father, that we would focus upon the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit challenge our hearts to see if, like the disciples, we are asleep and making false professions of following the Lord, and you would awaken us to be willing to ask that just as your Son did, that not our will, but your will be done in our lives and in the life of this church. Father, we pray that you'll send revival, not just next week, but, Lord, you will revive us, that there'll be a new activity of your Spirit within our hearts and lives and within this church. There'll be a new desire, Lord, to serve you. And, Father, that you will bring more people into your kingdom through our witness and our ministry, not for our glory, but for yours. Father, please speak in these moments. May we allow you to take your word and speak to our hearts and minds. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Follow with me as I read Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 44. Then Jesus went to, with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So why could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. In the last four messages, we have been talking about revival. 
we have found that there are five keys to revival. The first three messages were about these five keys, and this is going to be a brief summary, okay? Key number one, and these first four were found in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and this is what God told Solomon, and this is God's word to you and I. When the people of God humble themselves, when they pray, when they seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, God sends healing. God sends revival. And a fifth thing that we found out, one of the keys in having revival is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. After the people had sinned against God and the judgment of God had fallen upon them and they were taken into Babylon for 70 years, God caused them to return to the land and they found the law of Moses again, and they turned again to the Word of God. Revival comes when we turn to the Word of God again. And revival also will come when we begin to follow the example and the teachings of Jesus. Last Sunday, we pointed out that our Savior must become the pattern for our lives. And when he is the pattern for our lives, not only does revival come, but people will recognize that we have been with Jesus. And again, remember, that was said of the early church in Acts chapter 4. In Mark chapter 1, we studied about how when we have the compassion of Jesus Christ, then revival will come. Well, today, I want us to follow up on following the example and the pattern that Jesus has set for us. When revival comes, you and I as individual believers and as the church will follow the example of Christ surrendering to the will of God. And folks, this morning, I think that this is going to be one of the most important messages, not because I'm standing before you, but because we're looking at one of the most important moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I want us to look closely at Jesus' moments in Gethsemane. And folks, I want to point something out. This story is so important because all four gospel writers tell us about this event. And I want to point out those four passages of Scripture, and if you don't have time to jot them down again, if you'll call Fran during the week, and she'll give them to you, okay? But I want to point something out. Each one of the gospel writers tells us, gives us a little bit more information about what happened in those moments. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46 that we've read. Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Luke, chapter 22, verses 40 to 46. And John's gospel chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. And I'll point something out in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each one of those writers go into great detail. In John 18, John only mentions briefly Gethsemane as a place that Jesus often met with his disciples. And it was known that Jesus would so often go there. It was a, t it was a place of retreat. It also was a place that Jesus prayed. And remember that it is here that Judas would bring the soldiers to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember again in this passage of Scripture, it is only hours before Jesus will be arrested to be tried and to be put to death on the cross. You and I cannot read and study this passage of Scripture without seeing that Jesus' heart had to be heavy. And folks, think about what has just gone on moments 
prior to this. You remember that Jesus has met with his disciples and they have shared the Lord's Supper together. During the supper, Jesus has pointed out that he will be betrayed by Judas. That betrayal has already been foretold and it has been planned by Judas and the elders. And within moments, while Jesus is within Gethsemane, the soldiers will come with Judas, and Judas will kiss him to identify that this is Jesus of Nazareth. And folks, even greater than this is the desertion of the disciples and denial by Peter that's already been predicted by Jesus. Although these disciples had said that they would not forsake the Lord, let me read these verses in Matthew 26, verses 30 to 35. And again, this puts, connects all of this together. They've had the Lord's Supper. And Matthew tells us when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all, underscore all, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd of the flock, and the sheep will be scattered. And folks, Jesus is literally quoting from one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. But hallelujah, and that's, I got this in my notes. Listen to what he says. Even though his disciples are going to deny him and betray him, he says, but after I am raised... There's no doubt in Jesus' mind that his destination is not just a Roman cross and a tomb, but he will be raised from the dead. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter declared to him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And listen to the last sentence. And so said all the disciples. <laughs> Folks, what is this story really about? Well, I believe this story is really about surrender versus resistance. These disciples will resist the will of God, but Jesus will surrender to the will of God. The Son of God is surrendering himself completely to the will of God. The Son of God, who is also a man, is struggling with surrendering to the will of God. Warren Wiersbe writes, The mystery of Jesus' humanity and deity is seen vividly in this scene. And folks, I believe before we go any farther, we need to ask ourselves and ask our church two questions. Have you and I ever made a first-time surrender of ourselves to God? Now, please listen to what I'm trying to say. Yes, we have asked Jesus to come in our heart and be our Savior. Yes, we have confessed that we are sinners and we want to be freed from sin and the penalty of sin, which is death and hell. But folks, have you and I made a first-time surrender of ourselves to God? And if we have, what kind of surrender was it? Was it an all-that-we-are surrender that Jesus is giving to God the Father right here? 
Was it a partial surrender where we said, God, there are going to be parts of our lives that we're willing to surrender to you, but there's some things we're not going to surrender to you, and you've just got to keep your hands out of that area of our life. And perhaps for many of us, it was a minimum surrender. And what I mean by that is let's give Jesus as little as we possibly can to make him happy and to make us happy. And folks, I want to point out from the example of God's own son, if we give anything less than all, we're letting God down. This is a hard sermon Folks, I want to point something out. If our Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, struggled with surrendering everything to God the Father, it's going to be hard for us. And the second question is, when was the last time we renewed our surrender to Jesus Christ? How many years or months or weeks or days has it been that we said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life? Let's get back to the story. In verse 36, 11 disciples are with Jesus as he leads them into Gethsemane. And many of you already know this, but the, the, the place where Jesus is leading them, Gethsemane, is thought to have been a private garden, an olive grove on the Mount of Olives. Jesus often used this place as a retreat, as a place to go and pray downtime, time to unwind, but time to fellowship with the Father. And the name Gethsemane means oil press. An olive grove would have olive presses throughout the groves to extract oil from the olives. But, but looking at, excuse me, let me get some water here. Looking at what is happening to Jesus in the garden and the agony that he is getting ready to go through, folks, it truly is a press. It truly is a time of trial for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew seems to imply that Jesus leaves eight of these 11 disciples at the entranceway. And remember again, there were 12 disciples, but Judas has left him. Judas is going to betray him as he is here in the garden of Gethsemane. So eight of the disciples have been left at the entranceway. And they've been instructed in verse 36, to wait and to pray. Jesus, in verse 37, takes Peter, John, and James' father into the garden. And folks, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why does he leave eight at the gate? Why does he take these three men with him? Folks, Jesus is not playing favorites here. But these three disciples are with Jesus at three of the most important moments in his life and ministry. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus has invited them to come with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. And these three, Peter, James, and John, saw the transfigured figure of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory that he's going to have in heaven. Secondly, Jesus invited them into the home of Jairus. You remember Jairus was a man who had a sick daughter and the disciples could not heal, him, heal her. And when Jesus got there, he invited these three to go in there and he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then here in the Garden of Gethsemane, why these three? And folks, I think there are at least 
three possible reasons why these three men, again, not to play favorites with them, but first of all, they had been with him since the beginning of his public ministry. You remember last week as we studied in Mark chapter 1, you remember that right after Jesus began his ministry and he started preaching the gospel, he went to the seaside and he called Andrew, Peter, James, and John to follow him. They had been with him since the very beginning. Secondly, in Jesus' hour of greatest need as a man, the Lord wanted these three to be backing him up in prayer. Folks, doesn't it say a lot about his humanity and his, his desire to have his disciples to help him and be with him? But there's a third reason I believe that is so important for us to understand. Jesus wanted these three especially to know and to see what true surrender to God the Father and to their Lord and Master meant. Jesus was preparing their hearts to make a full surrender to the Father. And folks, I want to point something out, and I pray that this grabs a hold of all of us this day. Jesus must become our model of surrender to the Father's will. And when and if Jesus is our model, then revival will come to our lives and revival will come to our churches. When we are half-heartedly surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, we limit what he can do in and through us. When we have a half-hearted surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our churches, we limit what the Lord Jesus can do. And you and I know that all of these disciples are going to forsake Jesus. You and I know that it will be Peter that's going to deny the Lord three times before the night is over. But folks, why did he want these three, knowing that they would fall away and deny him and flee, why did Jesus want these three with him at these, this moment? First of all, remember that Peter, the one who had denied the Lord three times, on the day of Pentecost, who stands up and preaches under the power of the Holy Spirit and thousands are saved? It is Peter. Peter had made a change. He no longer wanted to deny the Lord Jesus. He wanted to proclaim him to all mankind. And Peter surrendered himself fully and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ Surely he was never able to forget those moments in the garden. And I'm sure that they weren't asleep the whole time, that there were moments when they understood what Jesus was struggling with. So Peter, from denier to great proclaimer, needed to know what full surrender meant. And how about John? Folks, is there any man who could talk about love more than the apostle John? Is there any man who was given a greater insight into the coming kingdom of God than John? You remember it is John who is the leader of the churches that is led to exile on the Isle of Patmos where he receives the revelation from God about what is to come. How could he receive that revelation unless he was completely and totally surrendered to the will of God the Father? And folks, what about... James, John's brother. Folks, it's sad to read these verses, but in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, listen to these verses. Acts 12, 
1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. And look at this next statement. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. King Herod Agrippa I had James killed. And I'm assuming with the sword means that it was a violent death. You and I understand that he had to be so totally surrendered and sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ to give his own life. Folks, do you and I understand what true surrender is all about? In verse 37, Jesus tells his disciples he's become very sorrowful and very heavy. And folks, the Greek words here mean to be grieved or sad to the point of despair. Now, I want to stop just a second. I want you to understand what Matthew is trying to point out here. It is the Son of God who knows he's going to die on the cross and be resurrected from the dead. But it is the man, Jesus, who became flesh that is agonizing over being completely and totally surrendered to the will of God. And he tells Peter and James and John in verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to death. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment, I hope. But he says, watch with me. And if you've got a Bible that has notes down at the bottom, it says Jesus is saying, keep awake. Keep awake and pray for me. Jesus is saying, understand that I am struggling to do the Father's will. Not only understand that, see that struggle. Sense that the tempter is ever seeking to cause me as a man to fear and forsake the will of the Father. And folks, let me tell you something that you and I already know. If we're not completely surrendered to the will of God, it is because the devil himself, the tempter, has tried to discourage us to make us fearful and forsake the will of the Father. And never forget from the beginning of his ministry till the end of his ministry, even as he hung on the cross, Satan is trying to get him to forsake the will of the Father. And one great example of that is a crowd who is standing around saying, if you are the Son of God, if you're the Savior of the world, come down from the cross and save yourself. The temptation to be out of the will of God rather than surrender the will of God is going to be something that Satan is going to continually bombard us with. Can I have an amen? Have you been there? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? And folks, I want to tell you something. I've seen it so often happen when people really catch on fire for the Lord. Guess what happens next? We've got a bullseye on us and Satan will try and pull us away from the Father's will. If a church gets on fire, Satan will try and come into the midst of it and disrupt the work that is going on. Satan is not absent in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is there. And the Savior as a man is battling with this. In verse 39, Jesus goes a little farther and Matthew tells us that he falls on his face in reverence to the Father and he prays. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you literally fall on your face before God and pray? Folks, under all the things that Jesus is going through, he reverences the Father. And listen to how he prays in verse 39, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
Knowing and doing God's will involves a lot of falling on our faces and praying. Would you not agree with that? And if you've tried to be in the center of God's will, you find yourself finding that unless God intervenes and help you, you cannot do what he wants you to do. And folks, I want to point something out, and this is the reason why I wanted you to read the other gospel accounts of this. Even in all the agony that Jesus is enduring, he knows God will still be with him. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, he addresses God this way, Abba, Father. Folks, it is a term of endearment. And folks, in our greatest struggle to know and do God's will, he is still the heavenly father who wants us to know his love and his presence. And he wants us to know his embrace, even in the midst of the storms that we're in, trying to follow his will. And so Jesus, as a man, knows my struggle, your struggle, and our struggle as a church to surrender to the will of God. And folks, we're so guilty of talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Folks, we're so guilty of being like those disciples who earlier said, Peter said, Lord, even if I've got to die for you, I'll do it. And all the others said, we'll not fall away. How many times have you and I said, Lord, regardless of what comes, I'm going to serve you faithfully. And the next time something comes up that demands that we surrender ourselves completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ and we take up our cross and follow him daily, what do we do? We get out of the will of God. But folks, here's something that is very important for us to understand. Jesus is struggling as a man but even as the man struggling with the will of god he sets the example for us to say to the father not as i will but as thou will and i want to tie these scriptures into this in hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 listen to these verse for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, let me stop right there for just a second. You think it's tough living as a Christian. Our Lord knows that. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus is struggling in Gethsemane is to show you and I that as a man, to be in the center of God's will will be a constant battle between our old nature, which is sinful, and our new nature in Christ. But he has been there, and he knows how we feel. But the writer says, yet without sin. He did not sin. He did not fall short. But he knows what it's like to be tempted to abandon the Father's will. Listen to this next verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why was Jesus praying in these moments? He already knew the outcome. Why was he praying? He was praying to show those disciples that even in our weakest moments, we can go to God and ask God to give us strength through prayer. That's why Satan doesn't want us praying. That's one of the reasons God told Solomon, if you want your land healed, if we want revival, we must pray. Back to the story. And folks, not only does Jesus do this one time, but he does it two more times in verse 42 and verse 44. 
And all the while that Jesus is struggling, the disciples are sleeping. And seeing the example of Jesus in the Gospels of surrendering to the walk and will and plan of God, are we physically and spiritually asleep? Are we? Are we awake to what is going on around us? Are we awake to the fact that the Spirit of God is not diminished and that God wants to use us even in the times that we're living in, but He cannot use a people and a church that is not surrendered to Him? God's power has not been diminished. We limit what we allow Him to do. But back to the story. Back to verse 38. What caused the fear and agony and sorrow of Jesus? And folks, it cannot be the fear of death because you see, back in verse 32, Jesus told his disciples what? But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus knew that death was not the end. And repeatedly, Jesus had already told these disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, he would be rejected, he would be betrayed, he would be falsely accused, he would be tried, he would be put to death, but praise God, he would be raised on the third day. He would be victorious over sin, death, Satan, and hell. He already knew that the cross was awaiting him, but the cross would not be the end. So, folks, what was causing all of this? It was the cup. It was the cup that caused Jesus the agony as a man. And, folks, we're not talking about a literal cup. If you've got a King James Version, verse 39 and verse 42, the cup is used. What does the cup represent? What does it mean? Well, I think there are at least three things. Number one, the cup represents his imminent death within hours. Secondly, in the Old Testament, the cup was a word that figuratively meant the wrath of God. Jesus knew that the wrath of God on sin was getting ready to be poured out. But listen to this. The cup represents Jesus' coming separation from the Father. Many, many people struggle with understanding this first verse. Listen to this, Matthew 27, verse 46. And this is as Jesus is dying on the cross. I love the Easter drama, and I love the way Tim portrays the death of the Lord and how he says these words. I can't say them correctly, so I'm probably going to botch them, but listen to this. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli. Laba Sabathani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you and I ever imagine being forsaken by God? How can it happen to the very Son of God that God would forsake his own Son? Well, let me give you some verses. John eighteen eleven. John eighteen eleven. After Jesus has prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas comes with the soldiers to arrest him. Judas kisses the Lord to identify that this is Jesus of Nazareth. And as they come to take Jesus away, you remember what happens? Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to Peter, put away your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? 
which the Father has given me. Now stop for just a second. Jesus is saying here that God had prepared this cup for him. Folks, what is this cup? Why would Jesus have to die? Listen to these two verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And folks, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, who is the he here? It is God the Father. For our sake, God the Father made him who? Jesus the Son. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus the Son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, can you or I imagine the agony of Jesus on the cross? He is taking the sins of the world upon himself. Folks, I cannot, there's no way I can understand that. There's no way that I can understand that Jesus would be willing to take the punishment of my sins. Remember, the wages of sin is death. God is a holy God. Sin has got to be judged. And either our sin is going to be judged on Jesus' cross or it will be judged as we stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Jesus took my sins, your sins, the sins of everybody and anybody who has ever lived on this planet. He took them upon himself. And so temporarily he would be forsaken by the Father because he took the penalty of our sins upon himself. You remember the scripture talks about how sin separates us from God. Momentarily, momentarily, Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But folks, I want to point something out that we need to remember. Jesus Christ was not a coward nor a wimp. Jesus Christ was the strongest man who ever lived. He was a loving Savior who surrendered completely to the Father's will. And I want to just read some statements that Warren Wiersbe made. This was a cup that Jesus willingly drank for us. Jesus was not wrestling with God's will or resisting God's will. Jesus was yielding himself to God's will. As a perfect man, Jesus kept the awful, uh, Jesus felt the awful burden of sin and his holy soul was repelled by it. Yet as the son of God, he knew that this was the mission that the Father has sent him on in the world. Jesus gave himself to the Father and surrendered his will to his. Folks, Peter and those fellow disciples had promised to be faithful to death, and yet they went to sleep. They went to sleep to God's call through his Son to us to surrender all. Jesus has set the example for us to surrender all to him. His surrender has brought our salvation. Would we surrender to him so that we can bring salvation to others as they see Christ living in us? I want to close with this quick example, and I'm, it's done, okay? Last night, 
And I've told you that one of the thrills of my life now is to sit in my recliner with Ella by my side. Last night, she didn't want to see Scooby-Doo, but she wanted to play on her iPad. She's playing games that I don't have a clue how to play them. But all of a sudden, I looked at the screen, and the game had stopped, and it said, do you want to resume? Do you want to end this program? Do you want to quit? I didn't know you could do that. And she was pushing quit. I don't know if the game had become too hard or she'd gotten bored. I didn't know there was a quit button on an iPad, but there he is. And folks, in following Jesus Christ, have we pushed the quit button? Have we become bored? Has living the Christian life become too hard, we feel, because we've neglected our walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or perhaps we feel the demands of Jesus are too great. Folks, as I read this story, how can we give any less than all to Christ? You know, it, it doesn't seem that important perhaps to us right now, but when this life is over, either when we die or Jesus Christ comes back again and we stand before the Father and we're allowed entrance into heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, I'm afraid that some of us will say, I wish I'd have done more for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I'd have served Him more faithfully and more fully. Folks, that time is now. We need to surrender now to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is a hard sermon for me to preach because I know that God's going to expect me to live before you and before the world what I've seen in the Word of God. And I pray that I'm not going to push the quit button. Folks, I believe that if we surrender ourselves to Him and surrender this church, revival will come. And I pray that's what we want. Jesus surrendered to the Father. It required going to the cross. But as someone has said, after the cross, there is the resurrection. After the resurrection, there is the crown. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will examine all of our hearts as believers. Lord, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And as the old gospel song goes, while you were on the cross, we were on your heart and mind. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not abort the will of God for your life nor push the quit button, but you surrendered completely to the Father's will and you became sin for us. In a world that seems to be laughing at Christianity and God and the church and the Word of God, Lord, help us not to deny you nor forsake you nor to quit. But Father, help us to surrender not a partial part of who we are or a minimal part, 
But Lord, help us to surrender all that we are as individual Christians and as a church to you. Father, have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For I ask in Christ's name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 433, I Surrender All. How long has it been since we said, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. The altar is going to be open this morning. If the Spirit of God moves you, would you make a new commitment, a new surrender? If he doesn't, please don't. But folks, it's time now for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and be the real deal. And it's only going to happen when we surrender everything to him. As we stand together and sing and the Spirit of God moves, would you come?